Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the Gospel of John. We'll be discussing who John the Baptist was, his witness for Jesus, and whether or not he was Elijah the prophet. So if you'll open your Bibles up to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 19, we'll begin our lesson. Okay, let me open us up in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this group. And we all thank you for your word and the opportunity to study your word. And as we continue our study of the Gospel of John this morning, and we study the witness of John the Baptist, we just ask that you make us all better witnesses. Help us to reflect the light of Jesus to others and testify as to the good news of the Gospel and what Jesus did for us so that others can move into a personal relationship or strengthen their personal relationship with you. And I ask that you speak through me today. Let it be your words, not mine. Guide our discussion and continue to transform us into the people that you want us to be. And I'll pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's continue where we left off in the Gospel of John chapter 1. We left off in verse 18 last time. And what we were studying was the Apostle John is telling us that Jesus is God. He has been from the beginning with God. He is God's Son. He is the promised Messiah. He came to save us. He came to provide a pathway so that we could restore our relationship with God and pay the debt for our sins so that we can have eternal life with Him an abundant life in this life before we go to join him after we die. And where we left off, the Apostle John was writing about John the Baptist, a different John, and how John the Baptist came as a forerunner. And we're going to study more of that today. In fact, we're going to dig pretty deep on John the Baptist this morning. So let me first read a couple of verses here, beginning with verse 19, and then I'm going to go and we're going to look at some other scripture to provide a fuller picture of what's being written here. So let me begin in verse 19, and this is the witness of John. He's talking about John the Baptist. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the religious leaders and the experts in the law, they send out some people to go ask John the Baptist, who do you think you are to be baptizing people? They're basically saying, look, Jews don't get baptized. They don't need baptism. They have the blood of Abraham. What are you doing baptizing? Verse 20, and he, being John the Baptist, confessed and did not deny, meaning he confessed, yes, I am baptizing, I'm calling people to repent, and I am baptizing them, asking them to turn 180 degrees away from their sin and get ready for the Lord. That is exactly what I'm doing. He didn't deny it. It says, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. So even though John the Baptist had a tremendous following of people, He could have been famous. He could have been great in their eyes. But he said, no, I am not the Christ. It's not about me. Verse 21, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, I am not. They asked, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Okay, let me stop there. And I want to talk a little bit about Elijah. And then I'm going to come back and just briefly touch on this concept of prophet. First of all, who was Elijah? Elijah was a great prophet in the Old Testament. 
Just let me give you a couple of verses on Elijah. I'm going to take you first over to 1 Kings. If you go over in the Old Testament, it's sort of between Genesis and Psalms. It's closer to Psalms, but it's after Samuel, and there's First and Second Kings, and then followed by Chronicles. I'm going to be skipping around quite a bit, so I apologize for that, but I think it'll make more sense. This is this great prophet, Elijah. So I'm going to first go over to 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I'm just going to pick up a couple of verses here. And this is talking about Elijah right here. You can see in verse 1, now Elijah, you can see there, go down to verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. So Elijah is this really rough dude. He's living out in the wilderness. The birds, the ravens are bringing him bread and meat, and then go over to 2 Kings 1.8. This is also describing Elijah. It says he was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. And so Elijah was this great prophet in the Old Testament. And actually, Elijah didn't die. He was just taken up by God into heaven. Let me tell you where I get that. Just flip over to 2 Kings chapter 2. And it says, And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And then skip down to verse 11. Then it came about as they were going along and talking that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elijah was a great prophet. He didn't die. He was just taken up by God into heaven. Now if you'll go to the last book in the Old Testament which is Malachi... And let me point out a few things there that are also about Elijah. And then I want to dig in a little bit about John the Baptist. So first go to Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, chapter 3. It says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a reference to John the Baptist. We know that now. And then flip over to Malachi 4, and I'm going to show you more of how I know that's who this is referring to. Just bear with me for a minute. Go over to Malachi 4 and drop down to verse 5. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children in the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Then the Old Testament ends, and we go 400 years where God does not speak through any prophet at all. There's no prophecy. There's no new prophets. There's no prophecy from God. Complete silence. Now, God's at work, but there's no prophecy. What we then see is John the Baptist is the first prophet that then appears on the scene. And so that's why they're asking, here we have this guy, John the Baptist, he is prophesying, repent, repent, repent. 
which is the exact thing that Elijah was prophesizing when he was here. He was telling people to repent from their sins. So he sounded like Elijah. He looked like Elijah. He dressed like Elijah. He lived in the wilderness. So there are a lot of similarities. So they're asking, are you the Elijah that we've been waiting for in Malachi 4? That's what they're asking. Let me show you another prophecy from the Old Testament real quick. I'm going to go over to Isaiah 40. And you don't have to go over there, but it's actually referenced in our scripture today. But I wanted to actually read it from Isaiah 40. It says, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. And that's where Elijah, as well as John the Baptist, live. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. That's also prophecy for John the Baptist. So here comes John the Baptist, and they know these verses from the Old Testament, and they're asking, are you the Elijah that we've been waiting for? And yet John the Baptist says, no, I am not. So let me show you some verses, because this can get very confusing, but we're going to camp out here for a minute, and I'm going to try to bring some clarification to what we're reading. We saw John the Baptist clearly denied that he was Elijah in verse 21 of what we're reading. Now, let me show you a couple of other verses. Let's first look at Matthew 17. Go over the first gospel, Matthew 17. And I'm not going to read all of this to you. We've talked about the transfiguration. In fact, I think I even mentioned it a little bit last time. If you hadn't read that story, you can actually read some of the verses before where I'm going to jump in today. The apostles Peter, James, and John have been with Jesus. He's been transfigured. Moses and Elijah appear during Jesus' transfiguration and speak to Jesus. You can see that in Matthew 17, verse 3. That's where we are in this part of the story in Matthew 17. And now they're coming down from the transfiguration. I'm going to begin in Matthew 17, verse 9. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And the disciples asked him, saying, What then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? See, all the Jews knew this. They know this Old Testament prophecy. Verse 11, And Jesus answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Remember that John the Baptist was dead at this time after being beheaded by King Herod. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 14 verses 1 through 12. So here it appears that Jesus is saying, well, yes, John the Baptist was Elijah, okay? Kind of seems like there's a conflict here between what John the Baptist says, that he was not Elijah, but Jesus is saying, and the disciples understood, that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. Now let me show you another verse just to add to some of the confusion. Let's go look at Luke 1.17. Just go over to the right, third gospel, Luke 1.17. Let me set this up. So the beginning of Luke talks about the birth of John the Baptist. We studied that when we were studying Luke. If you want more detail, you can go back and listen to that recording. But an angel of the Lord appears to Zacharias, who is John the Baptist's father. He and his wife Elizabeth have been hoping that someday they might have a child, but they're getting up in age. 
And I'll begin in verse 13. But the angel said to him, said to Zacharias, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John, John the Baptist. It actually means grace of God, or God is gracious. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. This is very unusual because, remember, it wasn't until Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came and actually filled Christians when they become believers. But here, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even while he was in his mother's womb. Verse 16, And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, here's the verse I want us to focus on. And it is he, meaning John the Baptist, who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord so that John the Baptist would be a forerunner for Jesus Christ. So how do we reconcile all this? that John the Baptist says he's not Elijah. Jesus says, or appears to say, and the disciples understand him to say, that he is Elijah in Matthew 11. Another argument against John the Baptist being Elijah is, remember, we saw in Matthew chapter 17, verse 3, that Elijah appeared with Moses at Jesus' transfiguration. So it doesn't seem like that would have happened if Elijah had changed his identity to John the Baptist. I think the key to understanding this is from the words of Jesus when he spoke in Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 14. Let's go over there and take a look at that, because I think this is the key. It says, And as these were going away, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, meaning John the Baptist, What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one that is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. That's Old Testament prophecy from Malachi 3.1 that we saw earlier, written probably about 430 years before this is written. Verse 11, Truly I say to you among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, talking about John the Baptist. And here's the key. And if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah. This is Jesus saying, if you care to accept it, John the Baptist himself is Elijah who was to come. And so Jesus is saying, if you're willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah. In other words, John the Baptist identification as Elijah was not predicated on his actually being Elijah, but upon people's response to his role to prepare the way for Christ. To those willing to believe in Jesus, as Jesus said in Matthew, then John the Baptist functioned as Elijah in preparing the way for Christ. 
But to the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who rejected Jesus Christ, to them, John the Baptist was not Elijah and didn't perform that function. The name Elijah actually means forerunner, which is what both Elijah and John the Baptist, that was their function. And it's interesting to me that in Revelation 11, you can go read that later. I'm not going to read the whole thing today. We'll be studying Revelation later. It speaks of two witnesses, and perhaps one of those two witnesses will be Elijah. And so when you go back and look at the prophecy in Isaiah 43, it could be referring to John the Baptist. It could also be even referring to the return of Elijah in the end times. Now flip over to Matthew 3. Before we go back to our text, I want to give us a little bit more on John the Baptist And then I think it's going to help clarify the text that we're reading today. So let's go read Matthew's account of John the Baptist over in chapter 3 of Matthew, first gospel. Verse 1, now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So here again is Isaiah 40, verse 3. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. So as I said, he lived just like the prophet Elijah, as we saw in 1 Kings 17. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring fruit in keeping with your repentance. So he mentions a viper. A viper looks tame when you look at it, but it's actually very deadly. And these religious leaders, they were keeping countless Jews from their salvation with all their self-righteous belief and their teachings that Abraham's blood was enough. And John is calling people saying, look, you need to repent. You need to turn from that. You need to realize that you're a sinner. He's saying, look, judgment is imminent. And you can't just come out here and get baptized for insurance. You have to truly repent and realize that you're a sinner and that you need a savior, that Abraham's blood isn't going to be enough for you. But they thought they were holy enough just by being a descendant of Abraham. But John the Baptist, he was a great prophet. Even Jesus spoke of how he was one of the greatest men who ever lived. Look over in Matthew 11, verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Okay, so with that backdrop, let's go back over to our text over in John 1. We see John the Baptist says, No, I am not Elijah. John the Baptist wanted to remain humble. He did not want to bring attention to himself. He certainly came in the spirit of Elijah. That's clear. Jesus makes that clear, as we saw. John the Baptist lived like Elijah. He looked like Elijah. Being a hairy man with a leather belt and preaching repentance, he preached like Elijah. He certainly did come in the spirit of Elijah, yet they still rejected him. So when John the Baptist says he's not Elijah, they then say, well, then are you the prophet? You see that in verse 21? Okay, let me show you where I think that comes from. 
I'm going to flip back over to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, fifth book in the Old Testament. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, and I'm going to begin in verse 15, Deuteronomy 18, 15. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. And then skip down to verse 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So this is God talking to Moses. This could be a reference to John the Baptist. This could be a reference to Christ. This could be a reference to Samuel, who is the very first prophet after Moses. You can look at that in 1 Samuel 3. And then flip over, keep your finger in John 1, and we're going to get to this in the coming lessons. Go over to John 6 and skip down to verse 14. It says, When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, talking about Jesus, they said, This is of a truth the prophet who is to come into the world. So the prophet that God had promised to Moses, speaking through Moses, that we just read in Deuteronomy. So they know about that verse. So they're wondering, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet that was mentioned in Deuteronomy 18? And we see, now flip back over to verse 21 of chapter 1. And John the Baptist answered, no. He says, no, I'm not the prophet. So you see the Jews, they were looking for a conquering king to restore the Jews into power. But that is not why Jesus came in his first coming. That's only part of why Jesus will come again in his second coming. But the first time, he came to forgive our sins, to pay the debt that we couldn't pay, and to give us forgiveness and everlasting life if we submit to Jesus and we turn to him as our Savior alone to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. But the Jews didn't think they needed a Savior, and they certainly don't want a crucified king. They're looking for a conquering king, a conquering Messiah. Verse 22, they said then to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And so he answers, John the Baptist says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Here we are, the prophecy in Isaiah 40, verse 3, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. John the Baptist is saying, I'm the guy telling the nation that the king is coming. And actually, that's what they used to do when a king came to town. Proclaim, let everyone know that a king's coming to town. And John the Baptist is saying, hey, I'm the guy telling you that the king is coming. The Messiah is coming. And you need to straighten your paths. Get the crooked things out of your life. Get the sin out of your life. And as John the Baptist was preaching this, some Jews were getting baptized by John the Baptist. Some of the verses that they were using, probably believing they needed to get baptized to get ready in their mind, probably for the conquering king, certainly the Messiah, go over to Ezekiel. You may have to just go to your table of contents to find it. Ezekiel is probably about halfway between Psalms and Proverbs in the end of the Old Testament. And while you're finding that, go over to Ezekiel 36. I'm not going to read this whole thing to you, but I'm just going to read some of it. Ezekiel chapter 36, and look at verse 25. It says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Look up in verse 22. You can see, thus says the Lord God. So this is God speaking. 
And then skip down to verse 33. And it says, thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places will be rebuilt. So they're thinking, hey, we need to get clean. We need to be baptized, clean ourselves up, get ready for the conquering king to come. And then I'll show you one other one. Just skip over a few pages to chapter 37. And I'll skip down to verse 23. And they will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. You see that? And they will be my people and I will be their God. People may have had some of these verses in the back of their mind thinking they needed a water cleansing in preparation for the arrival of the Messiah. But again, the Jewish leaders didn't think Jews needed to be cleansed at all because they have Abraham's blood. And let me just very briefly touch on baptism. The word baptism that we use actually comes from a Greek word that means to immerse, fully immerse. Think of it as taking a piece of cloth, which is what they did back then. You take a piece of cloth and you would baptize it into dye. And what that means is it would go fully into the dye, you would baptize it, and when it came out, it was changed, it was transformed, it was a different color completely, it was changed, and that's what baptized means. And so those of you like me who think you got baptized as an infant by your parents when you didn't have a clue what even was going on around you, that is not baptism. Baptism that you read about that Jesus commanded each of us to do, you do that after you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. There's not an infant at all anywhere in the Bible that gets baptized. You can go look for the verses. I've done that. There are not any in there. It is something you do after you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You are of an age that you can understand what you're doing. You recognize you are a sinner. You need a Savior. You turn to Jesus Christ, you make him Lord and Savior, you accept his free gift of payment for your sins that you couldn't pay, and then you go get baptized, which means you get in and you submerge into the water. And what that signifies is your death, you die as you go under the water. It signifies dying to your sin and then rising up out of the water signifies you're coming back away from your sin. You've been cleansed by Jesus. You've been cleansed to now live a new life because now you have the Holy Spirit living in and through you. Doesn't mean you don't sin anymore, but it means you have the Holy Spirit living in you and beginning the process of sanctification to change you and make you more Christ-like. That's what baptism is. So for those of you who have not been baptized, maybe you were never baptized or maybe you were just sprinkled, I would recommend you do what Jesus says, which he said, go get baptized. And if you hadn't, I'd be delighted to baptize you. I've done it for many people. It would be a tremendous honor for me to do that, to help you. Baptism is not required for salvation. Some denominations believe that it is required for salvation, The key verse on that is when you look in Luke where Jesus is on the cross and he's got two criminals on each side of him, one of them's really giving him a hard time saying, if you're the Christ, you're God, you're the Messiah, save yourself, save us, get down off that cross, he's mocking him is what he's doing. And the other criminal says to the criminal who's mocking Jesus and says, 
and again, I'm paraphrasing, you ought to shut your mouth. You and I are the sinners. We deserve to be up here. Jesus has never sinned ever. He doesn't deserve to be here. And he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. The criminal didn't get off the cross and go get baptized. That shows that baptism is not required, although it is commanded to us. And so be obedient. Don't ask why. The reason why is because Jesus said, go do it. And baptism for a Christian is an outward sign of the inward change that has taken place because you have placed your faith in him alone for your salvation. Okay, little sidebar there. Let's go back to our text. We left off at verse 23, verse 24. It says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So it was the Jewish leaders who had sent these people out to find out who is this John the Baptist. Verse 25, and they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Like you've said you're not any of those people, so why in the world are you baptizing? They want to know what are your credentials to be baptizing. The Pharisees were the legalism experts in the law, and they're saying, what authority do you have to be baptizing people? I think maybe they were also jealous because people were gathering to follow John the Baptist and they were trying to figure out why. The reason why is there was a crisis of people's hearts. There wasn't a crisis of knowledge. They could see what was going on, but their hearts were in the wrong place. John's baptism was physical and we're going to see, let me read on, verse 26, John answered, this is John the Baptist, saying, I baptize in water but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John the Baptist is saying, I baptize symbolically with water, but Jesus is going to come and he's going to give the real thing. He's saying, I'm baptizing a baptism of cleansing and repentance in anticipation of the coming Messiah. But when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's the real thing. And we see here that John the Baptist is being a fantastic witness. And when you witness, we're not the focus. You can see John the Baptist denies everything. He says, it's not me. It's not about me. I'm just the forerunner. He's also not the light. He's not trying to bring attention to himself. We are just to reflect Jesus' light to others. And thirdly, we're to proclaim our belief in Jesus. How has our life been changed because of Jesus? You don't have to have answers to all the questions. You can be like the blind man. I don't know the answer to that, but let me tell you what Jesus did for me. That's all you have to do. That's being a witness. Going back to our text, verse 28, these things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Bethany, this is not the same Bethany home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This is a different Bethany. It was located near Jerusalem. It's not clear today where this was exactly, but this is where this was taking place. Verse 29, the next day. Okay, before we keep going, let me point out something that really trips some people up when they start paying close attention to some of the details here. John is going to use the phrase the next day and the next day sort of a timestamp here in a number of verses that we're going to read. 
between here all the way through the first part of chapter 2. I'm going to explain the chronology as best I can when we get over to chapter 2, but let me just alert you to it now so you can kind of keep it in the back of your mind. We see in verse 29 the apostle John, the writer of this gospel, he says the next day he saw Jesus. So he's saying the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. Keep in mind, this is very important to make this really more clear to you. This that the writer John is writing here is not the account of Jesus getting baptized. This is the account of John the Baptist giving his testimony. Flip back over to verse 19. It says, And this is the witness of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? So what the writer John is writing about is John the Baptist's testimony to these leaders. We're going to now move into the section where he's going to describe his actual baptism of Jesus. Jesus' baptism had actually happened before. And you can look at that in Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17. It's also in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And then it's also in Luke 3, verses 21 through 22. And then after that, Jesus was tested for 40 days by Satan. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Mark 1, verses 12 through 13, and Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. And so some people will read this, and they think this is the actual recording of the event of Jesus being baptized, what we're about to read. And then it says the next day Jesus is going and doing this, and they say, well, wait a minute, that seems to conflict with the accounts of Jesus getting baptized. And then after that, Jesus was tested for 40 days by Satan in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. No, there's no conflict. The difference is Matthew, Mark, and Luke are describing the actual event of Jesus getting baptized by John the Baptist, followed by 40 days of testing by Satan. And what we're reading about in John, John doesn't include the actual recording of the account of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. He assumes that his readers are familiar with the other three synoptic gospels. What he is recording is the witness testimony of John the Baptist about what he saw when he did baptize Jesus. So the events that we're reading that are described in John's gospel in both this chapter 1 and in chapter 2 were actually after Jesus' actual baptism by John the Baptist. What we're reading here is John's witness to the Jewish leaders as they're questioning him as to whether or not he's the Messiah. So hopefully that'll help you a little bit. Don't get too hung up on the days where it says in the next day. I'm going to try to explain all that to you after we've gone through all this when we come back to chapter 2, verse 1, where it says on the third day, I'll try to explain all that. Verse 29 says, The next day he, being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is not universalism. Jesus is available to all the world, but for some reason, not everyone wants to accept his payment of their debt. They want to do it on their own. He did die for all the sin of the world. It's available to all. But this reference to the Lamb of God in Jewish custom and in their tradition and certainly in the Old Testament, lambs were used as sacrifices for sin. And this reference that John the Baptist is making to Jesus, calling him the Lamb of God, is talking about 
the substitutionary atonement, that Jesus will be the sacrificial lamb for our sin. They were all certainly aware when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, as God was testing the faith of Abraham and he was about to kill his only son, yet Abraham had faith in God. God had promised there were going to be many descendants that came through Isaac. And just as he was about to sacrifice him in obedience to God, God then provided a sacrificial lamb so that Isaac could live. And it's interesting that the term Lamb of God is used something like 40 times in the book of Revelation. Let's read on verse 30. This is he, talking about Jesus, on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And that's interesting because we know John the Baptist was born about six months before Jesus was born. They were relatives. John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. And yet, John is saying, Jesus existed before me, which is just what the Apostle John, the writer of this gospel, has been saying in the very first part, what we studied last time, in the first part of his gospel. He's been here forever. He's God. He's been here since eternity. And now he's going to explain how John the Baptist came about to recognize that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God in the promised Messiah. Verse 31, he says, I did not recognize him. He didn't recognize Jesus. But in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John, that's John the Baptist, bore witness saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. He remained upon Jesus. Let me keep reading, and then I'm going to come back and explain some of this, give some more color on it. Verse 33, and I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So God had told John the Baptist that you will know when you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining upon him that this is the one who will come, this is the Messiah, and when he comes, he will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 34, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist is saying, this is his witness, this is his testimony. He's stating it clearly. I was told that when the Spirit descended from heaven and landed on someone and remained there on him, that that is the sign that this is the Messiah and this is the one who would come and be baptizing in the Holy Spirit. So John, even though he was a relative, maybe they were cousins, that's not clear, but they were certainly relatives. Jesus was the Messiah, but he didn't know he was the Messiah until John the Baptist baptized him and saw the dove coming down out of heaven. And so this was a supernatural confirmation that God provided that now John the Baptist is being a witness for. Just amazing. So let me stop there. We're running out of time, and we'll come back and pick up there next time. But what are some of the things that we've learned from today's lesson? What's some application? We all have a responsibility to be a witness everywhere. And it begins at home with friends and family, but it's also whoever God puts in front of us. Why does God have us where he has us? Both in our relationships with our family, our relationships with our friends, who we work with, who comes across and into our path throughout each and every day. 
Why has God done that? He has a job for each of us as Christians to do. And he's commanded us to do that. Just like Jesus' final words in Matthew 28, verse 19, where he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is with us. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, each one of us as Christians. We receive the Holy Spirit as soon as we become Christians. Just tap on that power. It's not us anyway. It's the Holy Spirit at work if we will just allow that to happen. We're all called to do it. And what an awesome honor that Jesus has given us to be his hands and feet and operate in the world and in the crazy culture that we're in today while we're here, while we remain here. We are his church. He has given us the Holy Spirit. The church is not a building. It's a people. And he wants to work in and through us to continue to build his church so that others can come to faith. I think we all have a job to do. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.